first the overview about the ranch. This is a 480-acre picturesque property in northeastern Utah, and uh, it, it's idyllic. It's a beautiful setting. It looks like a great place to have a ranch, except for its long history of paranormal activity. That's the voice of investigative reporter George Knapp. He did an interview with Jerry Pippen where he talked about his book called Hunt for the Skinwalker. And in the book, we, we sort of, it's a, like a laundry list of uh, strange things, strange phenomena, including UFOs of a variety of different kinds, a Bigfoot sighting, a poltergeist-type activity, cattle mutilation, uh, weird animals, everything you can name all wrapped up in one place. Now, this part of northeastern Utah, the Uinta Basin, has been the site of uh, a phenomenal amount of UFO activity for the past 50, 60 years, and perhaps even longer than that. Uh, however, the epicenter of the, of, of the basin activity seems to be this property. Uh, the Ute tribe, which lives just directly adjacent to the property and has been there for hundreds of years, refers to this particular ranch as uh, a place where it's the path of the skinwalker, they call it, meaning that a, an evil skinwalker, a uh, shape-shifting witch of some sort, lives on that property, and they advise the, their tribal members to stay away from it as a result. Skinwalker Ranch, a.k.a. Sherman Ranch, or a.k.a. UFO Ranch. Either way, it's a large property in Utah's Uinta Basin, which borders the Ute Indian Reservation. Utes will not enter the area because they believe it is fertile territory for skinwalkers. They are cursed former healers that turn to evil magic. At the center of the whole legend is Skinwalker Ranch. The Utes say the ranch is, quote, in the path of the skinwalker. Tribe members are strictly forbidden from setting foot on the property and it's been that way for a long time. So since the 1950s, the area around Skinwalker Ranch has been a hotbed of UFO activity, according to locals. Bigfoot, a little dire wolf, blue ooze, strange characters and white overalls, this one has it all. So grab your tin hats, kids, and let's dive in. Welcome to Strange and Unexplained. In 1994, Skinwalker Ranch became well-known when Terry and Gwen Sherman and their children purchased the ranch and endured two years of strange phenomena on the property. From small things, such as items being moved around, all the way to floating orbs of light, even camper-sized flying crafts of some sort, all the way to unexplainable mutilation of animals. This ranch was driving them insane. But we are going back a little ways. And let's look at the history surrounding this area. The events that led up to Skinwalker Ranch being called one of the, quote, strangest places on Earth. And UFO enthusiasts have dubbed it, quote, UFO Alley. A place with too many nicknames and aliases has roots back in Native American folklore. Quote, you can't throw a rock in southern Utah without hitting somebody who's been abducted. That's a quote from local filmmaker Trent Harris. The earliest record of history in the Uinta Basin goes all the way back to 1776, when two Franciscan priests led a 10-man, six-month expedition through the area that would later be established as Skinwalker Ranch. The expedition was an effort to establish a safe and overland route between what is present-day Santa Fe, New Mexico, and Monterey, California. The leaders of this trek were Fathers Francisco Antanasio Dominguez, and Father Sylvester Velez de Escalante. So the mission is dubbed the Dominguez-Escalante Expedition. Thankfully, as many people did in those days, Father Escalante kept a very descriptive and detailed journal. Entries in the journal included descriptions of area of animal and plant life, uh, geography notes, and even included entries detailing the Ute and Paiute Indian ways of life. The expedition came into the Uinta Basin around September of 1776, and immediately the priests started spreading their Christian beliefs and tried to, quote, civilize the natives. And after they felt they had stayed for a few days and taught the locals how to pray, 
the group then took its leave and headed back to Santa Fe. And that's where we leave our priest. They, quote, discovered the basin by writing about it. So, thanks, I guess? They didn't really have anything to say as far as strange phenomena or whatever. And that could have been because they weren't that open to it. If they did have strong Christian beliefs, they believe that their God is the only God and he's in control, they wouldn't even be open or susceptible to encountering anything of this nature, right? Sometimes things like this are kind of like voodoo or witchcraft or black magic. They're as real as you believe. And if these, these uh, Christian priests did not believe in anything of this sort, that could be why they didn't find anything that was supernatural. So, moving forward. In 1880, the government did what it did best at the time. It relocated several Ute tribes to small reservations surrounding what would later become Skinwalker Ranch. And in 1886, the military had finished building Fort Duchesne. It was established to guard the Indian frontier in eastern Utah, western Colorado, and also southwestern Wyoming. The fort was built after intertribal violence in the area sent companies of infantry and two troops of Buffalo soldiers, which were all African-American at the time, to the basin. The soldiers were met by about 700 Native Americans, ready for war, but the situation was de-escalated and peaceful terms were agreed upon. The Buffalo soldiers were then stationed at Fort Duchesne, and conspiracy was born, as one of the soldiers was a known Mason. He may be the reason Mason-like symbols appeared in the basin on a rock wall that is at Skinwalker Ranch. So, come to find out, a lot of those Buffalo soldiers, especially in that um, African-American unit of the Buffalo soldiers, more than just one of them gentlemen were Freemasons. I have, I have a really strong belief that that's the case. I don't believe there was just one uh, Mason who was like running around the basin at this time uh, drawing these symbols, these Masonic symbols and whatnot on walls and caves. I think they, the, the Masonry was more spread out along, among the group. Okay? So we'll probably talk more about that later. Um, but let's, let's jump ahead a little bit. There have been many repeated reports of underground rumblings and explosions that can't be explained in the Skinwalker Ranch area. The earliest documentation of this phenomenon was recorded between 1906 and 1911. The rumblings and explosions are heard day and night around the future ranch site. Okay, The first homestead built on Skinwalker site is in 1905 when John and Emma Meyer settled on the land. There is very little history on the family or their time at Skinwalker. However, at the same time, the neighbors known as the Locke family were having their first run-in with the strange and unexplained events of the Uinta Basin. See how I tied that into the title? A strange visitor appeared on the family's property. He seemed normal at first, dressed in a time-period-appropriate clothes. But underneath, he wore a sparkling blue leotard. The man asked for water and sat and chatted with the family for a while. He then walked off into the sunset, never to be seen again. But not before warning the family not to dig on the property. No explanation at all, just a, quote, Hey, by the way, before I go, don't dig in that area of the yard over there. Right? It's not an actual quote. I just put that in there. But, uh, you know, I mean, what would you, what would be the rebuttal to that? It's like, why? What's over there? What do you mean? Why not dig? We just got here. What are we talking about? Oh, it's nothing. <laughs> just, just some gas lines and stuff. Just don't dig over there. You know, it might be a sinkhole or something. Oh, this shovel that I'm carrying? Oh, it's just a walking stick. Well, it's nice to meet you right? doesn't make any sense. Because the gentleman did have, I mean, he had a shovel, right? So he was obviously digging on some things as well. Um, what's with the sparkling blue leotard, right? Especially in 1905. This had to freak people out. Who's wearing leotards in 1905? They haven't thought of that stuff yet. <laughs> but then you're not going to believe this, right? Then he pulls the skin on his face tighter grabbed his crashed UFO, stuck it in the back of the exterminator's truck, and drove off in search of Orion's belt. Nah, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Okay, all, all men in black references aside, the man in the blue shiny suit was impactful enough that the Locke family passed it down for generations, though. 
seriously. And in 1944, two miles from Skinwalker Ranch, a larger silver globe-like object was seen flying over Fort Duchesne. This is the first sighting of weird flying objects, but maybe one of the only ones that has a pretty solid explanation behind it. Now remember the time, we're talking 1944, right? So, after the Doolittle Raid that dropped bombs on Tokyo and other Japanese cities, the Japanese wanted to retaliate against the Americans. And so, they started what they called the Secret Balloon Wars. The Japanese started launching hydrogen-filled balloons strapped with 30-pound incinerary devices into a jet stream, a natural jet stream, that carried the balloons across the Pacific and onto American soil in as little as three days. There was only ever one instance where the balloons killed American citizens. That took place on May 5, 1945. A local Oregon pastor, Archie Mitchell, and his expecting wife took five of their children from the church up a mountain for a picnic and fishing. Archie parked and unpacked the car as his wife and the children jumped out of the van and began to explore the area. One 13-year-old girl spotted something shiny on the ground and called the group over to see it. Elsie, Archie's wife, called to him to come see what looked like a balloon on the ground. Apparently, Archie had heard of the fabled Japanese attack balloons because he began to immediately shout a warning to the group telling them to leave it and to get away from the balloon. But before he could, one of the kids reached down and touched the object, and it erupted into a large explosion that sent all of the group flying and instantly killed all of them. Archie Mitchell was the only survival, survivor that day, and these were the only casualties of the Japanese balloons that we know of. Now, with all that being said, many believe that the first, quote, shiny orbs to appear in the area were actually these balloons, and that could give explanation to the unknown explosion sounds as well. Okay, so let's put all this logic aside, right? We're not here for a science lesson. We're here for some weird shit that we can't hear anywhere else. So, during the 1950s and 1960s, according to local witnesses and a reporter named Junior Hicks, he noted a surge in UFO reports in the Uinta Basin. I'm sure it was just a coincidence that the famous Roswell crash happened in 1947, right? And ignited the American people's obsession in extraterrestrial life. Could have. Could have. Although at this time, Skinwalker Ranch still has no real history yet with the strange and unexplained. So... Side note real quick, uh, the ridgeline located directly behind Sidewalk Skinwalker Ranch was nicknamed Werewolf Ridge, but the reasons for this name were lost to history. Hmm, right? It's kind of strange, kind of strange. It's probably because people saw werewolves there. Just throwing it out there. Just throwing it out there. It's a good time for a coffee break. Hold on. Okay, then... In 1967, an explosion of UFO sightings occurred with UFOs ranging in size from 20 to 30 feet across, all the way to the size of a football field in length. Now, a lot of these accounts state that these UFOs are very low, so that may be, um, that may give a little more credit to these size explanations and whatnot. Because my first, you know, being the skeptic that I am, as soon as I heard a lot of these stories, oh, it's a football field, it's a camper, I'm like, well, yeah, but how high up was it? And, you know, you don't really, it's hard to gauge how far something is and the size differences. It's, it's just hard to tell, right? But a lot of these UFOs, people say that they could, they could hit with an object if they had something in their hand, a tennis ball or a rock or something to throw, they feel like they could hit it, okay? So accounts have... Uh, there's been accounts of flying objects shaped as ovals, uh, triangles, even cigar-shaped. Now, right now, you're picturing the weird, the UFO-obsessed hermit who lives in a camper and has been traumatized by anal probing uh, done during his abduction. Well, he's quick to tell anyone who will listen about it, right? But in reality, the witnesses range from those types of weirdos all the way to lawyers, doctors, teachers, and other intelligent and successful, credible witnesses. I use these words lightly because I feel like intelligence and success are, um, are very variable terms. I feel like they're, they're up to someone's 
perspective or opinion. So I use those very loosely. But these are people that the majority of the world, the majority of the population would view as credible, intelligent people. Okay? So now, during the 1970s, a new form of weird enters the basin by means of cattle mutilations. However, these are not your typical cow in the tractor beam type situations. Nope, these mutilations left the cow laying in a field drained of its blood with only a single puncture wound. Like a giant mosquito landed on this thing, sucked out all its life juice, and left a carcass. No blood was found on or around the animal. And often, there was a circular hole in the middle of the animal's pupil. And that was the only wound found. The cows were often found laying as if they were positioned on purpose, with its front legs tucked under them and back legs splayed out behind them. No one knows the significance of the placement, but they do know it's not random. In some of the cases, the cow was pregnant, but the fetus, or the calf, was missing, and there were no signs of it, although the placenta remained intact. How the hell did they get that cow out of there? Huh? How? There were tests conducted by different veterinary labs, some at university research facilities. They all confirmed that parts of the eye and ears were removed with sharp surgical instruments. This eliminated the possibility of a scavenger or wild animals having interfered with the cows. Further investigation found that the heart of the animal had been, quote, blown apart. It would disintegrate after being touched. The test also noted that the pericardium, the sac that surrounds the heart, was intact and seemed to appear normal. Some testing found copper deficiency and potassium chloride as possible causes for the heart condition, but could never be confirmed as the cause of death. So I want to go a little farther. We got, we got a lot of things being sucked out of uh, small holes, right? So somehow they suck all this animal's, this giant animal's blood out of, out of its pupil? This is crazy. And then you find a heart that is disintegrated inside of the heart sack. And then you find a missing fetus, um, or you don't find a fetus, rather, when you find an intact placenta. So, the, what I get from this is that there must be small puncture holes on the placenta and the sack around the heart as well where these things are being sucked out, right? I mean, if they can suck out blood through a pupil, they can suck out anything else. That's what I'm saying. So I don't understand why they're so amazed that these sacks are still intact. They're, they probably have small holes in them or something, right? Just, I don't know. Let's Just, just bear with me, right? Humor me here. All right. So an, an injection of potassium chloride could have killed the animals because it's easily attained it kills rapidly, and it's hard to trace post-mortem, making it the most liable suspect. But when the remaining herd was tested, they were always found to be in excellent nutritional and physical condition. Local law enforcement and the FBI did investigations into the mutilations, but were unable to ever find a suspect or even a motive. So none of the proposed theories were ever proven, and the mutilations remain a mystery. But according to locals and ET enthusiasts alike, the cows are part of biological experiments conducted by aliens, possibly to benefit their own species? Who knows? So there have been many sightings that happen and are witnessed by many people in different areas around the basin. But many have written these phenomena off as something a little more earthly, a strange national, natural occurrence known as ball lightning. But ball lightning is still highly debated because its actual existence has not been proven. Other than seeing it, there's no proof that it is just a ball of lightning. A quick YouTube search will show you hundreds of videos ranging in quality from Sasquatch photo to actual newscast quality. Balls of jolting light, uh, usually accompanied by normal lightning, dancing, bolting, and exploding across the horizon and into the upper atmosphere. It is strange that the balls can vary in size, color, movement, and duration, but have been spotted in areas throughout the globe. 
Of course, scientists have debated and argued that the lights can be explained by gases and light reflecting and components in the soil and yada yada. And all the other bullshit they tell you after donning sunglasses and zapping you with a bright pen light. You know, light reflected off Mars caused a phenomenon and blah blah blah. But there are details that slip through the cracks and cannot be explained. Details too impactful for any neuralizer to penetrate. So now let's skip ahead to 1994. When a family from New Mexico buys a 480-acre ranch in quiet Utah, hoping to have a fresh start. This family consisted of Tom and his wife Gwen and their children. And almost immediately, the family notices the strangeness of the area and the ranch itself. Upon arrival, the family found that the ranch house had chains and deadbolts on both sides of the doors and windows. The windows were barred and bolted. They also found large rings bolted next to the front and back entrances with chains. They assumed they used these restraints for guard dogs or something, which they kept by the doors. There was never an explanation for the heavy lockdown, and the property needed quite a bit of fixing up, so the family dove right in. There was also a no digging without consulting previous owner clause, which was added to the real estate clause itself. Even though they bought what looked like the Toy Box Killer's summer home, they wrote the weird circumstances and previous owner's warnings off as just paranoia. But eventually the Shermans learned the truth. Behind all the warnings and reasons for the heavy security, the most notable Sherman event is what launched the ranch into the spotlight of conspiracy theorists and fringe scientists everywhere. It was the wolf. Tom Sherman retells the events like this. One evening, while he and his family were out working on the ranch, he noticed a large animal running in the distance. It appeared to notice him as well, and changed directions when spotting him and started heading towards him. He says the creature appeared to be about 200 pounds, at least, looking like a wolf in appearance with red curly hair. Tom is very cautious, as his wife and children were with him in the yard, but the animal approached the family. They believed it was tame, and they even petted it. The animal then begins to walk away from the family, but heads in the direction of a cow shed. A curious little calf slips its head through the bars of the fence in an effort to sniff the animal. When it does, the wolf quickly and suddenly grabs the calf by the neck, and with it secured between its jaws, attempts to pull the calf through the bars. Tom, looking on at the time, grabs a baseball bat and begins beating and kicking the wolf. But to his surprise, the animal is completely unfazed. Tom yells to his oldest son to grab his .357 Magnum out of his truck. He then fires at the animal, but the shots seem to also have no effect. Tom sees the bullets hit the animal, but no blood or wound appear and the animal continues to struggle with the calf again, unfazed. The wolf finally releases the calf after the third shot of the .357. It staggers backwards, but appears to be still unharmed. It returns back to the calf, and still trying to get his free lunch. Tom yells again for his weapon, but this time he wants the out 6 which he has previously used to take down elk from over 200 yards away. So he's no noob when it comes to hitting a target. He hits the animal right in the shoulder from only 40 feet away. The animal animal again reacts with nothing, not even a whimper. He takes aim again, this time hitting it in the chest cavity. This shot appears to irritate the animal enough to release the calf. Tom says that this is the shot that appeared to finally injure the animal, knocking a large piece of its flesh off where the bullet exited the animal. However, no responsible party thought to preserve or test this sample of flesh. That is one of the most aggravating things about this whole story to me. Anyways, the wolf appears to have been defeated. He gives up on the calf and trots off as if nothing has happened. But Tom, of course, decides he and his son are going to hunt down and find the beast. So they, so they head off following the large and distinct tracks, losing sight of the animal pretty quickly, and then losing sight of the tracks. 
when they suddenly ended just 60 feet from the shore of a nearby riverbank. The tracks just vanished, and with them, the animal that created them. The Shermans experienced many phenomena, and most of them surrounded the family's pets and livestock. They were terrorized with cattle mutilations, strange lights appearing and disappearing, crop circles that appeared almost instantly, and even hearing voices mock them while floating overhead. They also had an incident where six of the family's cats disappeared in one night. That could have been coyotes. The last straw for the Shermans came by way of dog liquidation. That's exactly what I just said. Dog liquidation. You ever heard of that before? Didn't think so. No, these dogs were not on sale. Tom believes that the family's three dogs were literally turned to piles of black goo somehow. He had been outside of the house one night when he and the dogs heard something in the brush that runs along the edge of the property. Tom sent the dogs to investigate the noise. He heard them bark until they were out of sight, and then one by one, they let out a whimper, which was then led by deafening silence. Freaked out and smart enough not to go into the thick brush alone at night, Tom returned home. The next morning when Tom went out looking for his dogs, he found three piles of weird black goo surrounded by scorched ground. Tom never found his dogs or any other signs of them or what happened to them. After this event, the Shermans put the ranch up for sale. They'd had enough. Also, something else I find strange, just like they didn't test the flesh that came off the wolf, they did not test the goo that was left on the ground. Also, a strange thing to me. I'm like, why not test this goo? Why not to see if any of your dog DNA is is in that goo? I, I would have to test it, right? So within just months of putting the ranch up, the Shermans were free of ownership and the land, along with the cattle. That now all belonged to Las Vegas real estate mogul and UFO enthusiast Robert Bigelow. Bigelow purchased the land for a mere 200 grand, and he was hoping to witness, document, and possibly explain the strangeness surrounding the cursed location. And so the National Institute for Discovery Science was established, and round-the-clock surveillance was set up throughout the property. And while the paranormal events yielded a book, Filled with eyewitness accounts and testimonies from people claiming to be paranormal expert, experts, uh, little to no real concrete evidence has ever been submitted. But that didn't stop them from writing a book anyways, right? A book entitled Hunt for the Skinwalker. Science confronts the unexplained at a remote ranch in Utah. This book was met with many negative reviews and assessments. As other scientists in the same fields of study as the author discredited the book saying it lacked scientific backing. The book was full of coincidences and strange circumstances that the scientists took as real evidence without proof of an actual significance. The events and encounters with the paranormal are described in great detail, but backed by little or sometimes no physical evidence. Bigelow shut down the research efforts on Skinwalker Ranch in 2004. He had started working alongside the Pentagon on their aerospace research and now has focused elsewhere. It was realized then that Bigelow had been allowed and involved in tests and research done for the U.S. military and other known establishments. Of course, with a paranormal hotspot like Skinwalker Ranch comes all types of interest, from the local abductees to claims of defense research to communication and exploration. But it all boils down to one thing. We are all sucked into the conspiracy of Skinwalker Ranch for the same reason. The truth. Are there really aliens visiting us? A rip in space and time that is allowing odd things to slip through and into it? As one eyewitness apparently saw Bigfoot walk into the portal. Is it really just a natural phenomenon that causes events and we just haven't figured it out yet? Is it testing grounds for the military's biological experiments? Or are all the people in the Uinta Basin just drinking the wrong contaminated Kool-Aid? Will we ever have real answers? Skinwalker Ranch was sold to Adamantium Real Estate in uh, 2016, and they have since trademarked Skinwalker Ranch. It is now home to Dr. Doom's Evil Lair. <laughs> 
No, but for real. What kind of secretive Avenger shit goes on under the Adamantium Real Estate LLC name? Right? The owner tried to stay anonymous for as long as possible because he feared being the owner of UFO Alley that might mess up his reputation in his other business real estates. The owner is now Brandon Fugel, and he along with his cast and crew have started a new documentary series on the History Channel titled The Secrets of Skinwalker Ranch. The latest episode published in April of 2020 still leaves a lot to the imagination, in a way of scientific explanation at least. So the questions are left unanswered, but the search still continues. Will we ever really know what's going on at Skinwalker Ranch? You know, one of the most popular things I hear about people who try to study this ranch or look into it is the fact that they feel that whatever is going on here has some sort of intelligence. You hear a lot of, oh, it was mocking me, or it was standing in a distance, or it was just hovering overhead. It was just around my property. You hear a lot of things like that, and then when people have stakeouts for nights and for hours and for days at a time, they encounter nothing because they're looking for it. It's like this thing just wants to show itself and express itself to the locals for whatever reason, or maybe people who are just vulnerable, people who are alone, um, people who are in remote areas. It just seems odd that it can never be caught but if this was some form of intelligent life, wouldn't that make sense? If it is another form of intelligent life out there, if it's something smart enough to, to, to float and create spacecrafts and abduct animals and remove their blood and internal organs surgically um, in such a timely manner, I feel like they would be smart enough to stay out of your sight. Right, or maybe this is some sort of military warfare. Um, maybe there is some sort of military explanation to this. It's a testing ground of some sort. Um, they got to test this stuff somewhere, right? And I think out out in the Uinta Basin might be a good place. It's pretty uh, it's pretty scarce out there. A lot of things can happen. Now, as far as the as far as the wolves, I feel like the wolves. And the legend of the skinwalker, I don't all that stuff really ties in together. There's a lot of there's a lot of legend around skinwalkers being wolf-like people. Um, but you know what? There have always been large wolves. I, I truly believe that. There's always been large wolves. And when you see an animal that is large and a predator, um, it does seem to have some sort of wisdom to it, right? And it's and it must be for an animal to to grow and evolve. You think a lot of the the more intelligent species that we have are large. Think about how how intelligent elephants are and their memories and things like that. And I know they they, they have they probably have just have larger brains. I get that, but there are there. I mean, there's video. On YouTube, if you if you search on YouTube, large wolf, large black wolf, whatever, you're going to find videos. There's there's one video in particular that a gentleman took while he was in the woods. It looks like the Northwest United States, maybe Canada, um, but to me, that's what the woods looks like. Um, but he is out in the woods with his dog, and then all of a sudden, um, they come across this giant dog laying in the woods. And this dog gets up and runs after his dog. And his dog eventually like goes to charge at it. And to see the size difference, his dog is probably, I would say, a typical size Labrador. Um, maybe a maybe a like golden retriever, terrier mix, something like that. But but a normal size dog, okay? I would say around that size, a lab, a, a German shepherd, um, something like that. And this wolf just towers over this dog. And the way it moves and runs through the forest, it is majestic. It looks as though it has powers that, that are unreal, that are out of this world. 
right? Because of because of how big it is. Now, who's to say those animals not only not only have they evolved in size and in their predatory state, but also mentally? Who's to say that one of these wolves like this, um, you know, didn't walk up to the ranch that day and meet Tom and his wife and realize that Tom and his wife were not going to not going to mean any harm to him and also they wouldn't be a, enough of a meal a human is not even enough of a meal so they're going after the cow they're going after the big meat they're going after meat that would feed their pack right cuz they're smart enough to know that and they're also smart enough to know that there's very little that humans can do to kill them i mean it's been proven that even German shepherds, um, a, a typical sized dog, a normal sized dog, a German shepherd has been seen to take bullets to the head and still charge at people. To the head. Right? Now, obviously, it didn't make contact with their brain, their skull. It could have ricocheted off of their skull. Their skulls are very thick, they're very hard. I, I mean, there's just so much, so many variables out there for a lot of this stuff. Um, but as far as the wolf theory and the giant wolf, I think that is probably the most believable part. I do think there are large wolves out there. I think there are large, there can be large animals in any species. I mean, look, look at the difference between the average, the average man and Shaquille O'Neal. Look at that difference. That's unreal. He's twice the size of a normal man. You, can't, you mean to tell me that that can't happen in wolves? That can't happen in coyotes that can't happen in in anything else you'd be silly to think otherwise now as far as the orbs of light there are all sorts of things that are that are strange in the sky right we all know the northern lights there are plenty of scientific things that we cannot understand and our science is just not there yet does that mean that it's that it's um you know, art of some sort of supernatural thing, some sort of uh, spiritual power, or some sort of uh, you know alien intervention. Maybe, maybe. But I do know that we've called lots of things uh, supernatural and witchcraft and things when they weren't in the past. And who's to say that we are at the full understanding of science right now? Right? I know we are very evolved. Um, we do have a lot of high-tech equipment and monitoring systems and cameras, and yet we still have no proof of anything at Skinwalker Ranch. Right? All right. So, at this point, I think you guys have a pretty good idea of what makes Skinwalker Ranch so special, what makes it so creepy. Um, and I've given you a little bit of my theory and my thinking around the case. Let's let's check in with Lauren this week on the synopsis. And then after that, I got a uh, interview that a gentleman by the name of Mark Koppel, he has a YouTube channel. He's an investigative journalist, uh, mainly of the supernatural. And he did an interview with Larry Sespooch. Um, he is a member of the Ute tribe who still lives in the Uinta Basin. And he kind of gives his ideas as to what the skinwalkers are and... Um, and how far back those stories and that, that tradition goes. All right? So without further ado, here is Lauren this week in the Lauren Synopsis. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis. Breaking down the case like, breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis, breaking down the case like, breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis, breaking down the case like, breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. What's up, people? Lauren here, here to get my thoughts on this week's Strange and Unexplained. The very mysterious Skinwalker Ranch in northeast Utah, one state away from where I grew up and has several ties to Vegas, was uh, actually kind of exposed and brought to light by George Knapp, who's a local reporter in Vegas for KLAS-TV, Channel 8 News. If you grew up in Vegas, you know all about George Knapp. 
Um, he's broken many stories. He's actually gotten, gone big. He's gone big time uh, worldwide. He's been on the Joe Rogan podcast now, and a lot of people know him for you know being involved with people who have told these stories about aliens and working for Area 51 and whatnot. Um, and, and also another tie to Vegas with this story is the billionaire who bought this place and owned it from 1996 to 2016, Robert Bigelow, who actually got his start with Budget Suites. He, he started Budget Suites in Las Vegas and it expanded and he became a billionaire. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, he, he's an interesting guy as well. He was really, he's really into uh, the paranormal and uh, really into space and aliens. And uh, I, I, a little part of me thinks he, he owned this place and wanted people to go there and mess with him a little bit. Um, now, it's not that I don't believe I, I definitely believe in life, you know, beyond Earth. First of all, I believe there are aliens, not so much in a gray sense, or you know, our caricatures of what aliens would be and whatnot. But there's definitely life out there, and I think it's too. If it's gotten to us, it's it's beyond our comprehension. There's so much more advanced than us and whatnot. As far as paranormal stuff and ghosts, um, I've had some weird stuff happen. I've had I've, I've felt like I had someone pressed down on my feet while I was sleeping one time. Uh, could have been my cat jumped on me and then jumped off. We've talked about some of this stuff on our um, like our our episode on uh, um, the Amityville Horror, for instance. Michael was very skeptic- skeptical about ghosts and whatnot. I'm a little skeptical myself. I, I leave the door open, but I think what we have here in, in instances like Skinwalker Ranch, um, when it has when a place has a reputation, like when there's a ghost or when there's a, a home that's supposedly haunted, right? People go there and they're hypersensitive from the start. They're on edge and they hear everything. They're hyper aware. Every noise it makes, every creak, every you know step they take. If a noise happens, it's it's a ghost. Clearly, um, I think that's been the deal with Skinwalker Ranch for a long time. I think you know it started with Native American folklore with uh, the with the Skinwalkers, the shape shifting uh, witches that could turn into animals um, and mess with your mind and they were tricksters that you know would make you hurt yourself and whatnot. I think it started with all that. They warned people who moved into the area of the Skinwalker. Those people took it and ran with it. And then it became so well known and, and people were so afraid of it. And then all the people that are really into paranormal stuff and really into uh, extraterrestrial stuff, um, they, it, they just kept pushing this thing further. And I, I feel like it's because they, they want to believe you know, that thing, that whole I want to believe thing. I, th- I think people that are really into this, they want to convince other people that it's real because they don't, they don't want everyone else to think they're wasting their time. It sounds messed up, but I feel like the, the guy, for instance, or I say the guy, but the famous picture of the Bigfoot, right, that everyone knows, the guy's like mid-step walking, that's a dude in a suit to me, clearly. Like, uh, uh, you know, anybody that says that's a real Bigfoot, I, I was like, oh, that looks like a dude in a suit. My point is, People who were really into these things, who were people, you know, dedicate their lives to studying, you know, uh, alien encounters and and going to places where ghosts are and and, and trying to find them and whatnot. They're gonna, they're, they'll, some of them, some of them, not all of them, some of them go far enough to fabricate things that aren't real to make other people believe. Because, like I said, they don't want others to believe that they're wasting their time. That's kind of where I'm at with with places like Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, as far as even the billionaire who owned it, I feel like they, they may like someone can create a crop circle with a board and a, and a rope. Someone can mutilate a cow as gross as that is. What, some people will go as far as they have to, to make other people believe that this stuff's really going on. Could it really be going on? Maybe I, I but I tend to believe most of this stuff, even, even back to the folklore, like Native American uh, people, I think they, they didn't have entertainment back in the day. And what they did was they'd sit down around fires, and I feel like they would tell stories, um, and they'd get passed on through generations. And they'd, much like the telephone game, they get more exaggerated and elaborate with each generation that went on. And I think it started there, and it's only gotten worse. And I, I don't know how much of it is, is fact. I would say 99% is fiction when it comes to Skinwalker Ranch. But that's my limited knowledge. I've only studied it for a few days. Loved the uh, loved all the Skinwalker stuff and all the uh, the shape shifting witches and all that. That was really cool. I would actually read a book about that just just from a fiction standpoint. That's how I view it as fiction, but really cool with some history to it. You know, stories that have been passed on from generation to generation. But um, as far as the Skinwalker Ranch, 
I wouldn't go there and spend the night. That's for damn sure. Um, you, you can't anymore with the new owner. I guess it's all locked up and you can't get anywhere near it. Um, but yeah, e- even back when you could go there, I wouldn't do it. I, I'm not, I'm not going to mess around with that stuff because, because like I said, I'd be hyper aware, hypersensitive and hyper aware. Like everyone that goes there, they're scared when they get there. And of course, every sound you hear is going to be, you're going to assume it's the worst quick story. One time when I went camping, um, uh, it got dark and the people I was camping with went to go pick up someone who was fishing. And I said, I'll stay here. And I decided to just sit there in the dark in the, in the campsite. Um, and I couldn't see two feet in front of me, pitch black. And every noise that was made felt like it was going to attack me. And, and there was something rustling around next to me that I, I was super freaked out thinking I'm about to get attacked by something. The people came back that I was camping with the, you know, the headlights light up the campsite and it turned out to be a chipmunk in a potato chip bag right next to me. And so that, that's my point is like when you're hyper aware and you're scared, that something's going to happen. Everything seems dr- more dramatic. And, and, you know, and then I think from there, your, your mind can start creating stories and making it even more elaborate. And next thing you know, the telephone game gets worse and it, it's passed on and passed on. And it gets this place, a place like Skinwalker Ranch can get this crazy reputation for all this stuff that's happened and the, all this stuff that people have seen. Um, yeah, that's my, that's my thoughts. I, I don't know. I don't know where to go with it, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my rambling about Skinwalker Ranch and, and the paranormal and, uh, the extraterrestrial and uh, folklore and all that. Yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed it. See you next week. Well, I sure enjoyed it. That's for sure. Especially that terrifying story about that chipmunk in a bag. Whew! Scary stuff, bro. Scary stuff. No, I totally get it though. Uh, you you see these ghost hunter shows, and like Lauren made a great point. These people, the longer they do it the more likely they are to fabricate some bullshit. And when something has a crazy uh, supernatural past surrounding it, like Skinwalker Ranch, I think people are even more opt to do that. Especially people when, like uh, like Bigelow, for instance, who spent 200 grand on the ranch itself. I know that's not much, but that's still a lot for no reason, right? So even he had motivations to make it kind of a, a focal point, um a point of important research or whatnot. So you you take what you get, right? But the truth is the world needs these types of people. We need these types of people to explain, to, to investigate the things that we think aren't there. Because then how do we ever find anything new? How do we ever advance the science, right? When people were studying epilepsy, there were probably plenty of people who were like, just leave it alone, it's demons. Like, what's the big deal, right? They're just, they're just possessed by demons, who cares? Stop studying this. But thank God they kept studying it. So we would stop burning people who have seizures, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's just crazy to think about, but there's still so much that we don't know. Um, and, you know, Lauren mentioned the Amityville horror episode that we did. He's not talking about here on Strange and Unexplained. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, we have another podcast called True Crime Guys where we talked about the Amityville hoax. I mean horror um, and everything surrounding that. So obviously you can tell that I am, I am a huge skeptic. If you ever watch um, BuzzFeed Unsolved, they, they do a supernatural one. Um, my daughter, she's 13 and she absolutely loves BuzzFeed Unsolved. And she'll be watching these two guys. I can't even remember their names right now. Shane. One's Shane. And Shane is the skeptic. I do know that. And I can't remember the other guy's name. But Shane, that's me. I'm the guy that goes in and is like, that's bullshit. That's just wind whistling through here. Oh, look, there's a paper bag in the hall making noise. Um, you know, that, that door's unleveled. That's why it creaks. You know, whatever. Like, I'm that guy. So <laughs> for me to to even say that there's any type of supernatural phenomenon going on, um, it, it takes a lot of convincing, okay? I'm, I'm a huge skeptic when it comes to that kind of stuff. That's why I wanted to start this podcast in the first place, because I wanted to give a, a real telling where at least as, as much as I could about some of these strange and unexplained events and also phenomena that go on in the world. So that's what it is. All right, so I want to get to another person's point of view, someone who totally believes this is real, okay, believes that this has roots in ancient 
uh, Navajo folklore, okay? And that the skinwalkers and the portals and everything is all, it's, it's all separate, but it all happens there for a reason, okay? And so I'm going to let you guys hear this interview with a gentleman named Larry Sespooch. He is an original uh, Ute Indian tribe member who still lives in the Uinta Basin. Uh, fun fact, Sespooch um, means white belly because his great-great-grandfather had a white mark on his belly. And so that was like his Indian name, Sespooch. And so it just kind of stuck as his last name. It's uh, C-E-S-S-P-O-O-C-H, Sespooch. means white belly in Ute. Um, but the gentleman who conducted this interview, his name is Mark Koppel. And he has a YouTube channel, and you can go to uh, hauntedman.net. And he has a ton of information on Skinwalker Ranch as far as interviews. He has video um, episodes that he's done. He is very much so into this and trying to prove the supernatural. And he does a, a great job at it, honestly, in my opinion. Um, so without further ado, here's the interview with Mark Koppel and Larry Sespooch. I know historically our people have always uh, just accepted those things as part of this universe and uh, so we've lived pretty much in harmony with anything that's come through there and maybe some of the negative stuff uh, they they scare our people because we don't know what it is and uh, but uh, I know that that has probably been there a long time. Uh, you see on the native uh, rock writing or petroglyphs that you'll see some images. Uh, I think uh, those were visitors uh, before us um, that came. And uh, then as far as the skinwalker thing, I, I, it's come to be known as that. Uh, nowadays and uh well i understand navajo, navajo that's the term skinwalker from the navajo right right, right. Yeah. but uh i remember a long time ago asking my mother because they would heard or seen things around and i remember asking her and uh she said they're they're people that have used, that use maybe the dark side to acquire what they want. So maybe it's money, maybe it's love, whatever. And uh, um, nowadays we call them a cult or something like that. Mm -hmm. But from my understanding, this has gone way back to my grandpa's generation and prior to that so it's been around for a long time but he said uh, um, said uh, he met a girl at one of the boarding school a Navajo girl real pretty and uh, that uh, school was out and of course they went home and one evening there was a knock at the door and it was her and he said, well, what are you doing here, and how'd you get here, and, and I guess they went and talked and walked and whatever. Um, but it started to get dark, and she said, well, I'm going to have to go now. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, how are you going to go? And she didn't say anything, and uh, uh, so she left. and. But she said, I'll be back to see you in a few days. And sure enough, she kept doing this. And uh, her, his parents said, who is that girl? And where's she coming from and stuff? And, and uh, but I guess, and it's not just women, it's men too. It depends. I think a lot of it is, is, is seeking something rather mm -hmm. it's money some people are after money some are after love i think a lot of it is that thinking they love this person so they go try to um, make them love them 
and uh, even they'll take hair and things to try to mm. possess. It sounds like a lot like voodoo or witchcraft, right, right, that right, kind of thing, right, some right, similar kind of thing. Right. And so, uh, you know, I understand that. Mm, just like there's a lot of other things that we just don't talk about. But I wanted to talk about those things because I wanted to set what the record straight as far as I know it, as far as skinwalkers, werewolves, uh, any of that kind of stuff. And then this portal down there that's what's coming through there. So there you go. So now you've heard it from a Ute Indian himself, or a Ute Native American, rather. Um, so there's there's one testimony of it. Now this gentleman. Now I I feel like this background needs to be needs to be exposed. Now this gentleman is not just any Ute member. He is a spiritual leader in the Ute tribe still today. Um, he leads like um, group sweats, so they call them, where you know him and like other members. He will. They will meet into a room, and they will meet in a group, and he will lead them spiritually. Um, He can cleanse their homes of evil spirits um, with, like, a smoking pipe and different types of of herbs and spices and things like that. So this is the type of person that he is. So naturally, he's going to be more in tune to these types of things. He's going to be looking for these types of phenomena because it is part of the way that he makes his living, just being honest. Okay, so I feel like that needs to be laid out there. So when he says, you know, I'm trying to set the record straight as far as the skinwalker and things goes, I I do feel like that type of thing needs to be taken into consideration. Who he is, what he does for money. Not saying that he's bullshitting so he can go and cleanse people's houses for hundreds of dollars in a few minutes. I'm just saying... It needs to be taken into consideration. Okay? I think you guys follow me. So, that's it, guys. That's that's all the information I have on Skinwalker. Um, I knew this episode was going to be a lot longer than others. Uh, I thought about breaking it into two parts, but I thought, ah, what the hell? An hour-long episode every now and then. Not that big of a deal, right? But, guys, I want to thank you for sticking it out. Hopefully, this episode was interesting to you. Hopefully, it kept your attention. Hopefully, uh, you'll do your own research. Go check out thehauntedman.net. I left, I've got a link to it um, below the description. And you can find out more information uh, about Mark Koppel and the investigations that he's done, as well as you can check out the uh, when it was called the Bigelow Ranch, uh, when Mr. Bigelow bought it from Las Vegas, you can check out his findings as well. There's a documentary, Hunt for the Skinwalker. Fantastically shot documentary. Um, it'll definitely pique your interest. But, again, no solid evidence. Um, there's just no solid evidence there. But at what point do these numerous amount of testimonies start to have weight? That is what keeps people coming back again and again and again. And it's the testimonies. Um So I don't know what all these locals and these natives would have to gain from making this stuff up because it seems as though they enjoy their quiet, peaceful town. Maybe it's to keep people away. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe they just don't want people living um, in that Ute reservation. They don't want people living near them, so they do this. Um, But at the same time, I feel like you are attracting a lot of unwanted attention, a lot of unwanted tourists, and, and that seems to be more the case now. There seems to be more people camping out in in large groups, uh, uh, TV crews, um, scientists, just people who are trying to explore the area. I feel like there's more of that going on now because of this. So I don't know how much that really helps. Now, provided they are not people moving in and taking up space and real estate for very long. So maybe it's an even trade-off for the local Ute people um, or just the locals that live in the Uinta Basin now, right? So anyways, guys, um, like I said, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I, I, If you guys want to hear more things like this, please let me know. I enjoy talking about this. I like having some lighter topics where we can kind of be goofy with it and, you know, have fun with it and speculate. Um, but, of course, there will still be very many serious cases about missing persons and unsolved murders because I feel like those those have to be out there. We have to look out for for our own humans here on Earth, right? All right, so speaking of 
great humans here on earth. I want to thank everyone who is a patron of this podcast. And they signed up on at patreon.com slash podcast. Guys, for just three bucks a month, you get early access to all of these free episodes on uh, Thursday instead of Monday, as well as two other shows I do, one being Strange Shorts and one being The Palette Cleanser. Um, Strange Shorts is a podcast I do on just short little interesting snippets of history a lot of times. Um, sometimes they'll be crimes. Sometimes they'll just be interesting phenomena. Um, but they're just not quite enough for a whole episode, so I'll do shorts on those, obviously. But they still end up being 20, 30 minutes because I'm rambling. Um, and then the Palette Cleanser podcast is anything but true crime. So it could still be strange things. could be more lighthearted things. Um, it could be literature. It could be me summarizing a book. It could be, it could be all sorts of things, right? So I try to kind of take you on a journey on those palate cleansers and just one segment of the palate cleanser to the next are not related. They're just trying to clear your brain and expand your mind a little bit and kind of get you out of this, the dark mindset that, that listening to too much true crime can do. Okay. But anyways, that's patreon.com slash S and U podcast. Guys, that is the number one way to support this show. If you believe in this show, if you like this show, please give that some thought. So, um, best way to support the show for free is just listen, listen, download, subscribe, uh, tell your friends, share on social media. You can tag us at S and U podcast, Sandu podcast on Instagram, on Twitter, uh, or you can go give us a like and a follow on Facebook. Just search strange and unexplained. So, and also you can leave a review. Leaving a review is another great way to help the show guys. Um, I would like to thank three new reviewers, uh, this week, let's start with uh, MJ Tink, left a five-star review, said, Excellent. Have been listening to TCG for over a year and love binging this great podcast now. TCG is True Crime Guys, which I spoke about earlier, uh, which is another show I do with Lauren, who you heard in the synopsis. Um, here's another five-star review from Hayden Girl 13 She said, Relaxing podcast. I'm a True Crime Guys fan. I binged all their episodes, then I came across this podcast. Michael and I must think on the same wavelength because my opinions are almost 99% his most of the time. So that's awesome. So wonderful podcast that I can truly relax. I love Lauren's view added at the end. Thank you guys. You guys are great. Keep up the hard work. We will. Thank you very much. That review is awesome. Um, I also got a bad review uh, that I wanted to talk about. It's a one-star review from J22792. Wanted to remain anonymous, I'm sure. Um, but it was on my Quiche Jacobs episode, which I released last week, and it says, Quiche Jacobs was trash, and if you know anything about the area, it's ghetto. I used to work in that area. I've seen people being shot at and a dead person stabbed to death lying in the broad street with bystanders just looking. Okay, first off, uh, crime happens everywhere. People disappear everywhere. Um... People get shot everywhere. People get stabbed everywhere. Bystander effect is a real thing. People look on everywhere. People are afraid to get involved. People are afraid for their own families, for their children to get hurt. Um, secondly, because an area is ghetto does not mean people deserve to die. And also, that is a huge matter of opinion. As far as what's ghetto and what's not depends on your perspective. And regardless, even if it's the quote-unquote ghettoest area on earth, people do not deserve to die there. People do not deserve to go missing without a trace. And their families do not deserve that. And I don't understand how you give a one-star review on that type of basis. But either way, I wanted to air that out in case someone saw this review um, and was curious but I just felt the need to retaliate on that because it was not an attack on my show, which I can handle. An attack on me, an attack on my show is fine. But you attacked a person who is missing, a person who we may likely never see again in Kishé Jacobs, in her family. It just, that just rubbed me the wrong way. So I can't, I can't let a review like that slide. I don't, I don't understand their motivation behind that. But anyways, guys, I don't want to end this show on a sour note. So 
Ignore the haters. People are going to hate. People are going to hate on, on you, on everything you do. If you want to do something, guys, just fucking do it. There's always going to be people that are telling you it sucks. There's always, But then again, there's always going to be people that tell you it's great. And for every 10 people that tell you it's great, there's going to be somebody that hates it. But why listen to that one person, right? That shit's going to happen. I see so many people who are afraid to create because of criticism that they may face from their peers, from their family, um, from their close friends. Listen, if they're tearing you down and keeping you from creating and growing, get them out. Life is too short for that shit, right? Life is way too short. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening, for sharing this show, um, for making it all the way through. I really appreciate it very much. And uh, guys, I'll see you next week with a brand new strange and unexplained case. So remember, be strange. Just don't be a stranger. Mm-hmm.